I didn't even mention it's Father's Day. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> Hilarious. I was running out the door and they were like, you got to open your present. I was like, I'm going to be late. And Isaac, he's a smart one. He says, if you don't open your present right now, when Jim Carnahan plays that song, all you're going to think about is, what did they get me? What did they get me? What did they get me? <laughs> he, said, he said, it's going to wreck your whole sermon. I said, all right, give it to me. So did you think about it? I didn't. I didn't think about it at all. I just prayed. Because I got my present. It's a G.I. Joe comic book. It was a G.I. Joe comic book. Some point, I was cleaning off the bookshelf and I pulled out an old G.I. Joe comic book and Caleb was like, what's that? I was like, oh, dude, look at this. And I'm showing him all this business. So they went back and bought me another one. Good old days. So happy Father's Day. Um, So we are in Matthew 9, you guys. And Matthew 9 is exciting. And there is just... I'm so, gosh, like Isaiah was so long. I am so glad that we are in a gospel. (laughs) I'm so glad we are talking directly about Jesus. It's it's good. Uh, So Jesus, he goes. I'm going to start Matthew 9, verse 2. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins cliffhanger he then said to the paralytic rise pick up your bed and go home and he rose and went home when the crowd saw it they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to a man so I don't know if you guys have heard about this show called the chosen you can find it on YouTube and it's called the chosen and um, it's made by the son of the guy that made a bunch of the Left Behind movies back in the day. So now there's this new show called The Chosen. You can get an app on your phone. And, of course, they ask you for a donation to help pay for it while you're waiting. And then it starts. I really encourage you guys. These are some of my favorite Jesus movies ever. The, it's called The Chosen. And they do this scene. And... So here's how it works in our house. We put the kids to bed. Cindy's like, after the kids go to bed, let's have a date with Jesus. And I'm like, all right, that means we're going to watch The Chosen. That's our code word. So we get on the iPad and we're laying in bed and we're watching it. Like I'm holding it or it's sitting on my lap, right? And we're watching The Chosen. And Cindy falls asleep. And I don't know she's asleep. And a scene like this happens, and I'm like, yes, yes. And I just start crying because I'm so happy because it's so awesome, which wakes her up. 
And then she says, what happened? What happened? I said, brother, he healed a paralyzed guy, forgave his sins. It was so, she's like, what, what? I'm like, I can't rewind it. You got to stay awake. You're going to miss it. And then a couple days later, she'll be like, I'm going to just chill out and look on my phone for a little bit, which sometimes means Pinterest, which sometimes means Facebook. And then I'll walk by and she'll be like, I'll say, you're watching The Chosen. She said, yeah, I am. I'm watching The Chosen. That guy just got healed. Um, they, they just do, they do a way, they describe it in a way and they act it out in a way that I never pictured before reading this. And now I'm broken. Now I'm stuck and I only see it that way. So Jesus, this guy's friends, you know, just now we prayed for people. This guy's friends brought him to Jesus. He's paralyzed. He has no hope. He has no ability to get to Jesus. And it says when Jesus saw their faith, he's not, it's not the people around. It's when Jesus saw the faith of the people that brought this paralyzed guy. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic. Now, the other great thing is he knows what this paralytic needs right away. It's obvious. And he says, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, everybody watching and the guys that brought, you know, carried this dude here. When they hear your sins are forgiven, you think that's not the first thing he should have said. Right. What? What? What are you talking about? Well, in this time, and we do it right now, too. Everybody thought that this guy must be paralyzed because of the bad thing he did. He must have done something bad, right? Um, there's a lady that was shot in our neighborhood at a gas station at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I heard somebody say, well, she shouldn't have been at the gas station at 4 o'clock in the morning. Like it was her fault. I've been at gas stations at 4 o'clock in the morning, right? I've been at all hours of the, you know, going to the farm, work the garden before dawn. Uh, going on a vacation, whatever. It wasn't that lady's fault that she got shot, right? So that kind of thinking, well, they shouldn't have blank. That's the same thing these folks thought. This guy's paralyzed. He must have done something bad, right? Why else would he be paralyzed? And so Jesus just lays that to rest, If the problem is that he did something bad, Jesus says your sins are forgiven. And that, whoa, wait a minute. His sins are forgiven. I mean, he's obviously paralyzed because he deserves it because he did a bad thing. And Jesus just forgave him. If the bad thing was, if the the paralysis was caused by the bad thing he did and the bad thing just got forgiven, what happens next? And so the Pharisees that are there, they hear that your sins are forgiven. And they think nobody can forgive somebody except God. Only God has the authority to forgive someone. How dare he? How dare he put himself in that position? And he knows that they're saying it. And verse five, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? Well, just think that through. They're both impossible, right? I mean, completely, if, 
Oh, just utterly impossible. If you if you're at the hospital, there's somebody laying there, they're paralyzed, they're going to die. And somebody walks in and says, hey, come on, get up. You'd think that they're having a breakdown, right? You think that person's delusional. They're not dealing with this well. You wouldn't think they have authority to get that person, tell that person to get up. But Jesus says, which one's easier to completely forgive this person's sins or to tell him to get up and walk? Well, the answer is they're both impossible, right? You, okay, Jesus, now you're just talking crazy. Verse six, so that you will know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So that you will believe that I can forgive sins. This is basically what Jesus is saying. So you'll believe that I have this power. Check out this power. Hey, dude, get up and walk. And the guy gets right up. And anybody that's been through any kind of physical therapy knows this is like a double level miracle, right? Because not only has the guy been paralyzed for forever, but the fact that he can get up and pick up his bed and walk home is like quadruple miracle, right? It's not just that he's healed and now after six weeks of three days a week occupational therapy appointments, he'll be able to carry a bed. No, right there on the spot, fully restored. Take your... When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. They glorified God who had given such authority to men. So the crowds, the main thing the crowds see is that this guy got, the paralyzed guy is now healed and can walk. But the whole point that Jesus was really trying to get across was that your sins can be forgiven. That he has the power to forgive sins. I love, uh, William Barclay talks about this. And he is really focusing on the forgiveness of sins part. That Jesus did this so that you will know that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. He heals the guy and sends him up to walk. Every miracle we pray for, every healing we pray for, every every, uh, prosperity that we pray for, every blessing that we pray for, is all secondary to the fact that Jesus forgives our sins. That he, can, he has the power to utterly forgive us. And so that just drives me. Whenever I want to pray for somebody, I want to pray the first thing that they know is that their sins are forgiven. That the first thing they get is that they've been forgiven by Jesus. Um, I was talking to a guy and he was like, well, you can't just say that. Like Jesus hasn't forgiven everybody's sins. And I got to say... It's the only thing in the universe that if you believe it, it's true. So if I believe that I can pick up a car, that doesn't make it true. I still can't pick up a car, right? If I believe that um, I, can, I can eat all of the Zesto double Z burgers I want and not have a heart attack, that does not make it true, right? But if you believe that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and forgiven your sins, it's true. He has. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you can believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, right? It's all over the place. And um, just the, the miracle, the miracle was here to show that Jesus had just as much authority over sin as he does over paralysis 
and he has that power too. Wow. The people were afraid. The people were amazed. So then Jesus goes on from there. This is one of my favorites. Matthew 9, 9. Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, this is in Matthew's house, tax collectors and sinners came and they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So I want you to imagine um, if the United States got taken over by Iran and they make us pay taxes to Iran to supply all of their nuclear weapons. I mean, we would hate that, right? We would be so mad at them. And then let's say that Jim said, sorry, guys, um, I got a new job and I won't be around on Sunday. And we show up on Sunday and Jim is at the door collecting taxes for Iran from all of us. Oh, man, we'd be so mad at you, Jim. I don't know. Like, that's ridiculous and silly, right? It was 10 times worse for the Romans. The Romans would take over a place and they had two, two types of taxes. And guys, this is just, it's, it's awful. Um, you had to pay a 1% income tax. So you hear everybody, every, it, was like, it was like age 14 to 65 or something was a, uh, a 1% income tax. So you think, that, that's not, I mean, that'd be great. And uh, then they had a temple tax that every time you came into the temple, you had to pay at the door. Not admission fee, it was a temple tax, right? And um, so then you think, well, I mean, that's kind of like your offering and you're supporting the temple. And that's that's all right. That's fine. Well, they had other taxes and a tax collector could stop you on the road. Make you unload all your stuff and right there on the spot, charge you taxes for everything that you're carrying and all of your cargo. And what's worse is it wasn't like a published Thing, it was whatever that tax collector wanted to charge you, he could charge you. And then you pack up all your stuff, you have no receipt. You have no evidence that you've already paid taxes. And so another tax collector could come along and charge you right there again and charge you taxes. And this got, this got multiplied where, you know, let's say, Jim, I don't have any more money to pay my tax. So Jim's like, well, I'm going to spot you a dollar today, but tomorrow you got to pay me $2. So the tax collectors also became these loan sharks that would give out loans with crazy interest. So you would never get out from under it. Make all of this worse. So, so tax collectors are horrible, right? They, they, they weren't allowed in the temple. They were not allowed at any religious gathering. So these guys are automatic outcasts. Um, they would probably be atheists, right? We would just know that they aren't believers. Because how could you, if you were a believer and you were a tax collector and you could never come to church, why would you be a tax collector, right? So they're, they're, they're just 
hated and disregarded. This guy, his name, his real name is Levi. And so not only, I mean, he's like named George Washington, right? It's like if George, the dude that got named George Washington is collecting taxes to pay for Iran's nuclear missiles. Like, gosh, come on, dude. This guy's name is Levi. He is of the tribe of Levi. He's supposed to be a priest. He's supposed to be working in the temple, taking off. I mean, see how angry this would make you? He's supposed to be taking offerings from people and giving them to God. And instead, he is illegally taking offerings from people and giving them to Rome. He is like, he's like the preacher's kid gone wrong, right? I mean, he is so, so, uh, and so Jesus calls him to follow him. Again, if you watch the Chosen movie, you run into this guy that's collecting taxes, you get so excited because you're like, I know who that is. That's, oh, I can't wait. That was the other thing that would happen. Cindy and I, be, I got to watch another episode of it because they just introduced Matthew and he's going to go. And the title of the next episode is The Call of the Tax Collector. Oh, we got to watch it. You know. Anyway, so when Jesus calls Matthew, Peter, who was a fisherman, James and John, who were both fishermen, those guys were probably taxed on their fish at least 50%. So when they would catch fish and bring in their fish, tax collectors would be right there on the dock on the dock, like you're out all night fishing, you pull up to the dock before you even unload your fish. The tax collector is there to count how many fish you caught to tell you that you have to give half. Those are worth, you know, a hundred dollars. You have to give me 50 or you could give me a third of your fish and we'll call it even. So then they could, they would even sometimes give the tax collector all the fish and then the tax collector would sell the fish at a higher price, and then he would charge people tax on the fish they're buying. I mean, just corruption, corruption. So you can see, I'm saying all this to say, when they, they know Jesus is a teacher. They know Jesus is a rabbi. He's just said, your sins are forgiven. He is sitting down and having dinner with these scum of the earth, dirt bag, blankety blank tax collectors. Oh, that would make them so angry. Well, the awesome thing is, it's not just tax collectors, it's other sinners too. Because these are all the people, the people that aren't allowed in the temple are obviously going to group together and they're going to hang out. And Jesus is right there in the middle with them eating. I mean, not just showing his approval, Not just patting them on the back. He's actually eating with them. There's a couple awesome things here. I mean, just that Jesus was not afraid to go be around really despicable, awful people. And that he would not just be around them, but he has gone into Matthew's house, is reclining. So if you're reclining, you're relaxed, right? Um, that's the thing they talk about when they go on mission and, they, and you know, David and these guys, they visit people's houses. If you go into their house and you're really tense and I'm here to tell you about Jesus and 
they're not going to listen to you, right? What are you afraid of if you're so tense about being in their house? Jesus is reclining. He's just chilled out. He's not afraid to be in the home of a tax collector. He's not afraid to be eating with these tax collectors and sinners. So then he gives them this teaching. This is chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. When they heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus doesn't see the tax collectors as people that are rebellious and wicked. He sees them as people that are sick that need a doctor. They need healing. In, um, in my, my counseling ministry thing, um, there's this whole deal that, that really changes when people, when you start to look at people as needing healing, that they're doing stuff to find an identity for themselves and to find a way to heal and find a way to cope instead of just looking at them as evil. And all of a sudden, you can forgive them as the way you've been forgiven. Like, if I was going to tell Jesus why I did all the evil things I did, I wouldn't tell him I did them because I'm evil. I'd tell him because I was mad at this, and I was hurt because of that, and I was afraid of this, right? And so sometimes forgiveness works that you think of, well, he was. you're not making excuses for him, but you're just trying to understand better so that you can forgive better. Does that make sense? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. These Pharisees were really good at sacrifice. They knew just where to get the right sheep. They knew just where to get the right oil and the right grain. They knew how to do a wave offering perfectly. They were so good at sacrifice. They were not good at mercy. But he's quoting the prophets. He's quoting God. God said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And so he tells them, go figure out what this means, because you obviously don't, right? That's the implied thing here. And he doesn't leave. That's the other part I love about this whole scene, is that Jesus isn't trying to save the Pharisees by doing whatever they want. Because he is trying to save the Pharisees too. But he stays there and he finishes the meal. He stays and continues with those tax collectors and those sinners. And I'll tell you what, I bet every one of those tax collectors and sinners had heard something from the Pharisees about how evil they were before, right? They lived in Jerusalem. They lived in Capernaum. They lived in Nazareth. They're surrounded by Jewish people practicing the law. They had heard all the teachings before, but I bet that night over dinner, they heard teachings from Jesus like they had never heard them before. All right. Then they have this question. Verse 14. The disciples of John came. They said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And he gives this little parable and he talks about new wineskins and old wineskins. And Jesus is basically saying, you guys have been doing religion all wrong. And I'm going to show you the right way to do it. 
and uh, this bridegroom bride scenario. So in Jesus's day, when a couple got married, they had a honeymoon. But the honeymoon wasn't whisk off to the Bahamas for a week and then come back. The honeymoon was go home. So they'd go to their house. They would wear crowns. And all week long, all kinds of people would come and visit and bring tons of food. I think the closest thing to this might be when a couple has a baby and everybody does the meal train thing and they bring meals. Except for the honeymoon, everybody would come and like you'd bring your big old rack of ribs to have a feast and you would sit there and eat with them and you would eat together. And you would party with the bride and the groom. And it was kind of like a wedding reception potluck. But the bride and groom didn't have to clean up. And they didn't have to cook for a week. And so Jesus says, would you show up at a a bride and groom's house during their honeymoon? And be all, oh, I'm miserable. Oh, I'm sad. No. You bring your slab of ribs and you eat it and you enjoy it. And it's part of the party. And Jesus is saying, that's what religion is supposed to look like. When you're with Jesus, we're supposed to be celebrating like it's a honeymoon week. And everybody's bringing and everything's provided for it. And end of the day, you shut up the house. You don't have to clean anything up. And you rest and, and have a honeymoon, right? It's totally different than this old wineskin business you guys have been doing of fasting, um, the, the Pharisees and John's disciples, they fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. When the sun came up, you couldn't eat anymore. They'd put lotion on their face so they'd look extra pale and they'd walk around all day. Oh, yeah, I'm fasting. Um, people would brag about it. People would show off. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, they got their reward. Their reward is all those people looking at them fasting, right? Jesus is like, don't do that anymore. This is totally different. And then in Matthew 9, we have two simultaneous events that happen at the same time. And so the Sermon on the Mount happens. It's, it's 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 8 through about 20-something, Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. He is living it out in action. He is showing by his activities, everything he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And so you have these two things happen where one, this ruler comes to Jesus, kneels down before him, and he says, my daughter has died. My daughter has died at my house. Will you come and make, he says, my daughter has just died, but come lay your hand on her and she will live. This is the first mention of Jesus raising somebody from the dead, like that kind of power. He's had power over uh, paralyzed people. He's had power over sick people. He's had power over people possessed by demons. The first person, now it says a ruler. This guy was a ruler of a synagogue. He was, uh, his name was Jarius, and he was this um, kind of the caretaker and the, lead, the main preacher. The way they did synagogues is all the men would come And you would kind of, you know, worship God and and recite prayers. And then you would look around, like, who's going to preach today? Mike, are you up? You know, it'd be like, who's in? 
And if nobody volunteered, the keeper of the synagogue, Jarius, would be like, I'll, I'll do it today. And he was like the, the, uh, the house band that would always perform if there wasn't another band coming in. And so Jarius was a teacher. Jarius was a, a teacher of the scriptures and he was respected. And here he is proclaiming basically that he believes that Jesus can lay his hands on a dead person and bring them back to life. Talk about career suicide, right? Um, he didn't care. He knew, he knew Jesus had this power. At the same time, so they're going. They're going to this house. At the same time, there's this woman who has been, uh, let's see, does it, have it say how many years in Matthew? I don't, I don't see it. Um, this lady has been suffering. Oh, 12 years. Yeah. 12 years. It, it says a discharge is basically like having her period for 12 years. And in Leviticus 15, we won't go there for the sake of time. Leviticus 15 has this huge list of rules for how unclean a woman is. Um, her, her bed is unclean. Any couch she sits on is unclean. Anything that touches the couch that she sits on is unclean. Any person that touches the cloth that touches the couch that she sat on is unclean. I mean, it is like just, uh, exp- uh, it's a pandemic of uncleanliness, basically, surrounding this lady. And anything she touches, anything that touches, anything that she touches is unclean. What does unclean mean? It means you can't do anything religious until sunset. Once sunset comes, you have to take a shower and then you're unclean for a week, eight days actually. At the end of that eight days, you have to bring two birds to the temple and have them sacrificed and cleansed. And then you are pronounced clean. That's for her That's for anybody that touches anything that she touches for 12 years. So you think it's bad for the Matthew, the tax collector, who is put out from everything religious because of his career. This lady did not make that choice. She did not choose a career. She doesn't have all the benefits of wealth of being a tax collector, but she's still put out. She cannot be there. There's this little bitty obscure scripture in Malachi that says when the Savior comes, he will have healing in his, and then there's a word. You know, you might think healing in his wings, right? Because that's what's in the song. So that word wings is like slang. Um, It can also mean fringes or hem or the little tassel on a prayer shawl that a Jewish man would wrap himself in. And so when the Messiah comes, he's going to have healing in his his fringe. Okay, but wait, it means another thing in slang. Uh, You know how um, guys in the military, they have their stripes on their shoulder. And if you're really fancy, then you've got stuff on top that has the rope that goes under. Okay, all of that was also called your wings. And and it was a show of authority. So some rabbis said, when the Messiah comes, he'll have healing in his authority. His authority will be so high that he'll be able to heal stuff. 
Other people interpreted it, other rabbis interpreted it as he will have healing in his garment. If you just touch his garment, he'll have, have so much power of healing. Just touching his clothes will heal you. And so this lady, verse 20, woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to him, herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. She is thinking he is the Messiah. He's the Messiah spoken of in Malachi, where it said even the fringes of his, dark, of his garment will bring healing. And all I got to do is touch that. It says in another gospel, there's all kinds of people. They're all brushing up against him. They're all bumping into him. It's like a concert or a mosh pit or something. Just this, it's like the fall festival, right? It's like that. Uh, yeah, just crazy, busy. Well, she didn't just bump into him. She grabbed that little tassel. She grabbed that edge with the faith that if he's the Messiah, I will be healed. Why did she want to be healed? Well, it's terribly inconvenient, right? Terribly uncomfortable, terribly painful. It also lets her back into everything religious because she's been put out of the community. She's been put out of all that. She does that and she's healed. No occupational therapy, no nothing. She's made clean instantly. And Jesus knows it. Other gospels talk about that. They're like, everybody's, it's a crowd. At that moment, she has, it, it says she gives her testimony. He's like, what did you do? Jesus says, what happened? And she's like, and everybody knows her because everybody's staying away from her. Because if you touch her, you have to go get a shower. You have to go get two chickens. You got to kill them in eight days. You can't go to church for a week and a half. Everybody knows this lady and they're staying away from her. She says, I knew if I just touched the edge of his garment, like Malachi said, I would be healed. And there she is healed. And that just fulfilled Malachi. So what's that say to everybody else? This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. This is the chosen one. They go to Jairus' house. And there's all kinds of people playing music that she's dead. Because that's what they did. Kind of weird. They've already started the funeral. And, um, and he goes and he heals her. And he brings her back to life. There's a... Um, it says, Matthew 9, 26, the report of this went through all the land. Now people are going to find out he also raises people from the dead. There is nothing this man can't do. Skipping ahead, they, um, they heal these blind guys. He casts out demons. He just has power over everything. There, and there's no fight to it. He's just cleansing Go down to verse 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, who is harassing and making them helpless? Because he sees them as harassed and helpless. I want, I want to... I want to end on this. I want to bring back to this thing. When Jesus saw Matthew, the tax collector, everybody hated him. Jesus saw everybody hating him as harassed and helpless. 
but he also saw Matthew as harassed and helpless. When he saw uh, this woman who had been uh, bleeding, unclean, outcast, he saw all the people putting her out and not caring for her as harassed and helpless, and he saw her as harassed and helpless. In all of this, isn't it crazy that he does not yell at them? Why are you so harassed and helpless? What's your problem? And he doesn't go to the Pharisees and punch him in the lip and say, why are you teaching people all these laws? He doesn't even have to do that. He just proclaims the truth. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. The disciples, I bet the disciples' message was, this guy is the Messiah and he has the power to forgive sins. Listen to him. Follow him. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What's the labor? The labor is to go tell people their sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. You know, the guy that was possessed by demons and uh, Jesus cast all the demons out into pigs and the pigs run off a cliff. And the guy says, let me come with you. He wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, no, go back home and tell everybody what happened to you. That guy didn't know any of the Bible. He was not Jewish. He had no history of Moses. He didn't know any of that stuff. The only message he had was, I was possessed by a whole bunch of demons. And this dude was so strong and so mighty, he cast all the demons out of me. His buddies gave me a change of clothes. And here I am back. You, you guys remember me. I was crazy. That was the only message he had. It says when Jesus came back to that area, all kinds of people believed in him. Because that guy went around saying, I don't know who this dude was, but he cast all the demons out of me. Later on, we're going to meet the guy. I don't know. I was born blind. I don't know if he's the Messiah or not, but now I can see this guy. It's that simple. Sometimes, you know, we've, we've made classes and I've taken them and Cindy's taken them, learn how to do evangelism and all that business. It's this simple. Going out into the harvest and telling people, Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And if you believe it, you're forgiven. It is that simple. It's that easy. And what's wild is what people's reaction is to that. Right? Matthew's reaction. Uh, remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus's reaction when his sins were forgiven? I'm going to pay everybody back double. He didn't say, Woo, I'm forgiven. I'm going to go party harder. No. People are moved to righteousness when they see the forgiveness they've been given. One little spoiler about next week. When he says, pray earnestly for the Lord to send harvester workers into the harvest, it's all of them. They become, Jesus makes them the answer to their own prayer. And um, may he also do that with us. All right, let's pray. Lord, we praise you for the mercy that you show us. That even though we ourselves are the tax collectors and sinners that
nobody should really eat with that you come and eat with us and you sit down and you recline and you are relaxed to be around us, Lord. Thank you for taking our sins away completely and empowering us and filling us with your hope and your joy and your love and your peace. We praise you and we exalt you, Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing number 462 together.